Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DTV, the Digital Transformation Channel. My name is Layla Medeiros, and I'm very excited today to bring you Sanjeev Agrawal, who is the president and CMO of LeanTAS. Welcome to DTV, Sanjeev. Thank you. Uh, might I also add that Sanjeev was also the first uh, product marketing uh, person at Google in the uh, in the dot com era. So very excited to have you here to bring you some perspective on bring us some perspective on that. Um, I I also just read uh, that LeanTask was listed by CB Insights as one of the top one hundred AI startups. So congratulations on that. And from what I understand, you guys are. Um, uh, Providing better healthcare through analytics and predictive analytics, and also mathematical algorithms. So, can you can you tell us a little bit about how that works? That sounds really interesting. Sure. So, um, if you think about one of the biggest problems in healthcare, is just access to healthcare. So, we have five thousand hospitals in this country that have put a lot of assets in the ground. Mm -hmm. They've built operating rooms, uh, infusion centers, inpatient beds. The problem we solve is, are they using these assets as well as they could? So um, you could call it doing more with less, driving more operational efficiency. And if you dive one step deeper into that problem, there is a big mismatch between how these assets are uh, built, the supply of these assets, right. and how they're used, the demand for these assets. So to give you a practical example from everyday, everyday life, you might call for an MRI exam and be given an MRI appointment, say, two weeks from now. But if you stood next to that MRI machine between now and two weeks from now, mm -hmm. um, between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., there will be many periods of 20, 25 minutes where the machines are not being used. And when you show up for the MRI appointment, it's not going to take more than 20 or 25 minutes. Or you might even have to wait when you show up, despite not having gotten the appointment for two weeks. So you've got to think about that for a second, right? Why is it that I can't get use of an asset for so long? When I show up, I have to wait, and yet half the time the asset's empty. So the problem we're solving is making each asset more efficient. How do you see more patients in infusion chairs faster, give them chemotherapy treatment faster, for example? They wait less each time they show up, and more of them are fit in those infusion chairs every day. Right. Similarly, how do you get more surgeries done in the same number of operating rooms you have by allocating capacity more specifically and better on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, and time is, time is money, and, and these assets also, if they're sitting there stagnant, I'm assuming that co is costing the medical facility a lot of money. Absolutely, and this isn't cost that they see in their operating budget, but it's sort of like Southwest Airlines buys 10 planes, and then if half of them are empty, Mm -hmm. or half of them are flying half empty. Mm -hmm. Both of them are bad situations. And if you think about what airlines have had to do, airports have had to do to improve throughput, a lot of it is based on doing a few things that healthcare still doesn't do. Right. Um, things like um, appointments are booked like tennis court reservations when you show up to see a doctor. Well, what's the difference between a tennis court and a clinic appointment? If I have an 8 to 9 tennis court at, at a club and you have a 9 to 10, at 9 o'clock you can show up and kick me out because you have the 9 to 10 reservation. Right. The problem is a healthcare appointment is a series of small steps, each of which has some variation to it. It's called stochasticity. 
Mm. Now, it's not like a tennis court reservation because if you show up at 9 o'clock and I'm still occupying that room, you can't kick me out. Mm -hmm. And now if you have 70 patients showing up on a given day, Right. And each of them has a little variability in how long it takes for the nurse to do my vitals, to get me seated in the room, how long it takes the doctor to show up, or the doctor is delayed with one patient. All of these things lend themselves to a brutal day. Yeah. And it's and it's not going to get any better as you have something on your website that says uh, 20% of Americans are going to be over the age of 65 by 2030. So um, are, in fact, are, are we going to be ready for this? <laughs> So look, it's not as if we don't have enough assets on the ground. If you think about 5,000 hospitals each having spent, say, $200 million in building this infrastructure, right. that's a trillion dollars of capital that's been put in the ground, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But the turns on these assets is very low compared to any other industry out there. So 20% of Americans will be over the age of 65 by 2030. Even if the population rises by 1% each year between now and, say, 2040, will be a country with more than 400 million people, okay? One out of two wow. Americans has a chronic disease, back pain, cancer, some, something with arthritis, something like that. And the fourth stat is that the number of times someone sees a doctor or gets medical care is a U-shaped curve, meaning before the age of 10 and after the age of 60 is when most of us use medical care. Mm -hmm. So you take these four factors together what you're essentially saying is that the demand for medical services is going to grow at 30, 40, 50% for the next several years. And um, the only way we're going to be ready is to be able to use our existing assets as well as we possibly can. Right. And so we're trying to get the level of sophistication in how we make demand supply matching decisions to be much more like the airline industry or much more like other asset intensive, highly variable industries. And, and um, going back to how you do this, the CB Insights Award uh, recognized you for your use of AI. So how are you leveraging yeah. artificial intelligence or machine learning in this effort? The simplest way to think about what, at least the way we think about this is, if you use a lot of historical data to identify patterns that can tell you something about the future, mm -hmm. and that you can then use to make decisions that change the process. Mm -hmm. So people talk about digital transformation and then you ask them, what is digital transformation? You see a dashboard. Well, that's sort of like saying the LA Rams lost the Super Bowl <laughs> because the scoreboard wasn't good enough. And right. if we're going to practice harder, let's have a better scoreboard. You're not going to win by a better scoreboard. There is a lot of historical data that every infusion center has about how many patients showed up and got chemotherapy done every day of the week for the last three years. Right. Which doctors did what surgeries in the ORs? How many mm -hmm. patients by disease type stayed in the inpatient beds for how long? Mm -hmm. Using this data to predict what's going to happen in the future mm -hmm. and tailoring the way we use capacity in the future. Really what machine learning, AI, etc. is only so useful as far as what it does. Um, frankly, where healthcare is, is a combination of natural intelligence with significant math can result in tremendous amount of efficiency. So the machine learning we use is looking at historical patterns to predict future patterns, to unlock capacity in every part of a hospital. So they see more patients and treat more patients, whether it's an infusion chair or an operating room or an inpatient bed. Hopefully that made some yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I would assume also it would help with 
the decision of the institution in terms of how much they're going to buy in terms of equipment and this is a of... really big point so let's just parse that healthcare historically most uh, institutions we work with have always thrown supply at the problem right if i'm going to see more patients let me get more nurses more nurses more more chairs more equipment right, right. Instead, before you buy a second robot, are you sure you've used your first robot well? Right. Before you buy your second IMRI, are you sure you're using the first one well? Mm -hmm. And this is so another huge advantage. If you think about what this does, mm -hmm. significant improvement in the patient experience. Mm -hmm. Significant lowering of unit cost because right. now I can see more patients during the day. Much higher patient access. I can get access to care when I need it, which is by far the biggest problem in U.S. healthcare. Right. Fourth is much more revenue. Because now on the same day, if I used to treat 50 patients, I, I treat 60. In the same fixed cost, in the same variable cost of chairs and nurses and other infrastructure, I'm making more money as, as a hospital, right? And the two or three softer benefits are I can delay capital investment. Mm -hmm. I can now say, I used to think I can only treat 50 patients, but mm -hmm. actually I can treat 60, mm -hmm. which means until my demand goes up to 60 patients, I shouldn't have to build more. And if you're passionate about digital transformation and want to come on our show, please don't hesitate to contact us at dtv at infostretch.com. We would love to have you on. At InfoStretch, we've been working with a number of different types of organizations in healthcare, both you know digital first and also more legacy type organizations who are all addressing digital in different ways. Um, and we're seeing a lot of back-end uh, innovation happening, DevOps, which is a whole yeah. you know effort in and of itself. And but ultimately the the intent and the business objective behind all of these projects is to improve patient care, yeah. which is what you're talking about. Yeah. So there's a there's a constant both on the back end and I think what you guys are addressing is the front end yep. to leverage digital or to leverage you know technology yeah. to ultimately improve patient care. Right. Um, what is that? What are some of the barriers um, yeah. in the healthcare industry, being a highly regulated industry? What yeah. are some of the barriers that you guys are facing or that you see yeah. being an issue um, to innovate and to be, be able to do that? Really, if you think about the true barriers to innovation, um, I think there are fourfold. Mm -hmm. One is that it's only recently that anything has been digitized. Up until 10 years ago, it was okay to be scheduled on a piece of paper, now capturing the patient record in an EHR. The second is the mindset. Mm -hmm. So just because I have an EHR, having an EHR is sort of like saying uh, in, in the tech world, it's like saying, okay, we have an IBM mainframe and we've got some tools from Microsoft. There's so much innovation happening on top of this right. that the ability for healthcare institutions to look forward and say, yeah, I, I got an EHR, but that's sort of like the bottom layer of a cake. There's so many other layers I have to invest in. And no, my EHR is not going to do everything that, that there is to do because it's a great database, but that's what it is. It's a database of patient records. Mm -hmm. All the magic that's stored in the timestamps I have, in the patient information I have, needs to surface itself into fundamentally changing core processes, like scheduling, mm -hmm. right? And so when we think about uh, barriers to innovation, one is, are we gathering good data in our EHRs. Mm -hmm. Even if we're not, we can clean that up. Mm -hmm. Second, do we just assume our EHR is gonna do everything? Mm -hmm. It's not. The third biggest barrier that I see is 
the decision-making process in most healthcare institutions is not quick. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a hundred people can say no to innovation. All hundred have to say yes. And sometimes finding a champion who is forward thinking enough and who will um, fight that battle is, is not uh, easy. And the last one I say is that the role of uh, information technology, of AI, mm-hmm. of um, the governance structure around what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And some of it has to do with how historically IT has evolved in, in healthcare institutions. And the mandate has always been keep security up top. Always make sure everything is done internally by the EHR and that's all we'll allow. So until that mindset changes, it'll always be a little bit of a struggle. I and I think. think some of this touched upon what we're observing is disparate technologies being able to work together yeah. is, one, is one area that's been a, a challenge, but also disparate groups different yeah. you know divisions within the institution being able to you know effectively work together seamlessly to right. to adopt some of these new processes as well as the new technology I'll give you an example of each uh, you're absolutely right um, EHRs are supposed to be open systems mm-hmm. they're supposed to provide interoperability mm-hmm. and they're getting there mm-hmm. but even without them being interoperable fully you can still extract data from them and do a lot of what we do Mm-hmm. Right, so we don't need them to be fully open. We don't right. need them to be Google. They can be Apple. Right. That's more more of a closed garden. So the technologies uh, that now exist, whether it's extracting data simply through a SFTP poll, a data extract, or HL7 or Fire, are all moving in the right direction. So that right. barrier will keep getting lower. The second barrier, though, is, for example, to give you uh, uh, an example that I think everyone can relate to, budgeting is done in silos. But patient care is not done in silos. Right. A patient goes through, navigates through the front of a hospital to the back of a hospital. Right. They see their clinician, then they go into the OR, they get uh, labs done, et cetera, et cetera. And if you look at how departmental budgeting is done, if you are trying to innovate across departments, you've got to get multiple depart- departments to say, this makes sense for us to do as an institution, mm-hmm. and let's find budget for it. So absolutely, both of them are very real barriers. Right, absolutely. And um, having been in technology in in the big dot-com heyday um, and seeing another sort of technology revolution with digital, I guess the first part of my question is, you know, what's what's different now right. than what, and, and it's not pertaining to healthcare, it's just in, in no. general. And the second part of the question is, if you were to take your, you know, your crystal ball out and, and tell us what's going to happen in the next five years, right. maybe for healthcare, but in general, as, as a technologist yourself, um, what, what would some of the observations be that you have? Yeah, so... I think uh, government, education, and healthcare are late to the digital game. I don't yeah. think I'll be the first or the last person to say that. It's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, it's the macro uh, factors of uh, efficiency is no longer a nice-to-have. It's a must-have. Mm-hmm. We cannot, as a country, that keeps spending as much as we do on healthcare. Medicare is clamping down on how much you receive per knee replacement, for example. These are very real forces. So in any industry, the forces that drive change happen at different times. So it's easy for us to say, oh, healthcare is behind, but there's a reason for it. The macro, uh, until it hurts my pocketbook in a deep way, Mm -hmm. most people don't do much. 
And so you've now found an industry, technology, for example, felt that pinch 25 years ago. Amazon came up 30 years ago and so 25 years ago and started hitting every retailer. And that's why the need for efficiency. Mm -hmm. That's only now starting to happen in healthcare, which is why this is happening. That's one big driver from a macro perspective. From a more micro perspective, more data is now available because of these EHRs. The third is, from a leadership perspective, every person in a hospital, when they leave the hospital, uses OpenTable and Facebook and Snapchat and LinkedIn and every other digital tool, and they go into the hospital and they say, oops, I'm back in the dark ages, 20 years ago, yeah. right? They go into an, uh, an airport and they have a pretty smooth uh, transition through an airport, but a transition through a hospital requires, you know, all kinds of special treatment for people. Those business models that have been adopted in other industries can also be adopted. We use OpenTable as a metaphor for some of the things we do to show access to open time for surgeons to ask for it. So, so some of the broad macro changes in other industries, device capabilities, computing capabilities, user interface capabilities, where I expect my patients to be able to use these devices to do things. Mm-hmm. If Apple gets to the point which it will soon where I can measure my blood pressure and take you know, um, a diabetes test right on my phone, mm-hmm. it would change so much because a lot of those, uh, the growth in when I need to go see a doctor can now happen at home. But you don't think that's going to compromise the quality of care that you're going to get because you're, they're only looking at your data, but they're not seeing you and they're not seeing right. you in person. And So I, I'm a big believer that in the end, um, markets tend to shift towards a supply-demand balance of the highest quality at whatever price point is affordable. Right. So for some people, um, it's okay that... You know, I'm not being holistically looked at inside out. Right. Um, because I'm 25 years old, I don't have great insurance, and I'm not that sick. Right. Yeah. I'm not suggesting by any means that's a good thing. It's hard to foretell how the market will play out, but like in every industry, you will have segments that are willing to take the lower cost, faster option, and that may be okay because eventually we'll have to move to some sort of segmentation like that. Well, that's that's very insightful. Thank you so much for your time, Sanjeev. Is there anything else that I missed that you'd like to add? No, I, I, I will just say that I'm very fortunate to work in an industry that has uh, mission meaning and money. Yeah. Frankly, the uh, by shaving off a... Uh, if you look at Amazon and what it's done, I'm a big believer that Amazon has single-handedly kept U.S. inflation in check, probably to the extent of what percentage point. A lot of that's happened because of the intense competition for the same uh, set of goods and the pricing that results as, as uh, a result of that. For us, we're in a very privileged position to be able to provide tools that cause, at least to some extent in healthcare, the same kind of efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a fun next 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I will think of you next time I can efficiently go through that whole process. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Uh, And this concludes uh, this episode of DTD. Thank you all for joining. And if you're passionate about digital transformation and want to come on our show, please don't hesitate to contact us at dtd at infostretch.com. We would love to have you on.